Good evening, folks, and welcome back on this Saturday, the seventh day of October, two thousand and twenty-three. I'm your host, Mark Hall, and it's been quite an eventful week. But as is often the case, maybe the only way to put it all in perspective is to start off a bit chronologically. And yes, the week began with some, no doubt, very disappointing news. Ah, shucks! At the very last minute, exactly as you would have expected, the U.S. House of Sellouts, also exactly as you would have expected, sold out. Kicked the can down the road one more time and passed a continuing resolution to keep continuing what they've been doing and getting away with for decades now and thus avoided the most scary thing that any of them could possibly have imagined, a U.S. government shutdown. But uh, let's not kid ourselves, they wouldn't have shut down anything anyway that really needed shutting down. The plot thickened, though, when it came to the nature of the sellout. Turns out that the rhino speaker of the House, the slimy, treacherous Kevin McCarthy, actually managed to get it done by joining with the Democrats and passing it with basically no real Republican support. After exactly what you would have expected happened, the Senate rolled over like a trained lapdog, too, and the Biden viewer put his ex right where his handlers told him to. Florida Republican Representative Matt Gates took to Twitter and revealed a bit more about how sausage is made and republics die. From his tweet, McCarthy made a side deal concerning Ukraine with Democrats and didn't tell the House Republicans until after the continuing resolution was jammed through. More deceit, he said, and of course, folks, more business as usual. For those that are in that big club and you ain't in it. So I guess you could say that sound that you hear is not just a can being kicked down the road. kicked it right onto the train tracks. There was some humor along the way, and even more than the usual amount of hypocrisy that we've gotten used to. In the home stretch of the con job to slam dunk that continuing resolution and prevent Americans from seeing even a bit of the truth, while Democrats were trying to stall the vote so that this time they could actually read what was in it. And isn't that an amazing switcheroo? In what's being called a widely reported phenomenon... And how asinine was this one? Well, even the Daily Mail has had a field day with it. So-called Representative Jamal Bowman of New York, and guess which wing of the Socialist Party he's in, went out in the hall and pulled the fire extinguisher. Literally, as many have since noted, obstructing an official proceeding, in this case of the United States Congress. And if you think that's kind of a juvenile high school stunt, well, yeah, this guy was a former high school principal. And his abysmal record there, like in Congress, shows exactly what happens when dumbing down runs rampant. She was among the many Republicans who called for him to be expelled from Congress for what turns out to be an actually far greater crime than many of the January 6th defendants have been rotting in the gulag for two years over. He called her a racist, well, actually a white supremacist, which is a dog whistle or a code word for it, if you understand the uh, leftist lingo. But Jamal's excuse this time around is literally one for the record books, almost better than the dog ate my homework if you're an IRS commissioner. He said he wasn't actually trying to stall the vote. He's just too much of an idiot to know what a fire extinguisher is for. Yeah, and this is a so-called former principal, right? Said his spokeslayer, Congressman Bowman didn't realize he was going to trigger a building alarm by doing what he did. He's just almost as stupid as the artichoke from Pennsylvania in the other chamber. As Zero Hedge notes, oh yeah, this happens all the time. Almost wish that was funny. 
What doesn't happen all the time, though, as a matter of fact, what's never happened before this week in American history did happen a little bit later on. And I guess you could argue that a lot of what happened on Monday and over the weekend helped to set it up. Evidently, a lot of people finally have just plain had enough. And by now, I suspect you already know where I'm headed next anyway. Because of all the stories that I've done for literally months at this point, this may have been the first one that we actually didn't see coming, or at least when it really did happen, and it should have a long time ago anyway, it was kind of a surprise. Somebody showed some backbone. That somebody was primarily Matt Gates of Florida, and yep, the fake stream media really hammered him later. Just one example from the leftist Daily Mail, the headline says, quote, A narcissistic, evil, and vengeful little man, Republicans pound on Matt Gates, and they didn't spell it right, it's actually rhinos in this case, saying he got schooled by AOC, good grief. And how bad was it? Yeah, the leftist rags even wanted to quote the artichoke from Pennsylvania, John Fetterman, who managed to read his line almost correctly which meant it was probably his body double anyway. But yes, ever since we've been hearing all kinds of things, primarily smoke, a little bit of fire in there. And now that we're a few days down the line, we can do a bit more detailed examination. And that means certainly not the kind you're going to hear on CNN. Still, though, let's start with the story the way it was reported Tuesday evening. For the first time in American history, a sitting Speaker of the House, the rhino Kevin McCarthy, has been removed from office. The term is vacating the chair. And the Daily Mail's coverage tells us that the 216 to 210 vote, which included every Democrat and eight Republicans, to remove him as Speaker is the first time there's even been a vote held since 1910. And back then it was unsuccessful. Not that there haven't been plenty of times over the last few years when it should have happened, but the leftists would never have evicted an outright communist like Nutcase Nancy. McCarthy, however, seems to have been just too much for even the rhinos to keep covering for. The Daily Mail's coverage again says that the drama unfolded after Florida Republican Matt Gates introduced the motion to kick out McCarthy on Monday night. Tuesday morning, Democrats emerged from talks saying they wouldn't help the slimy speaker escape and all would vote to remove him. And for McCarthy, says the piece, it went downhill rapidly from there. The humiliating end for the shortest live speaker since 1875 set shockwaves across Capitol Hill and secured his future in the uh, history books, that is, if there are history books, following what they called a roller coaster tenure of only nine months, during which time he arguably broke more promises than some speakers probably did in their entire careers. Following McCarthy's ouster, Representative Matt Gates called the former speaker a feature of the swamp, and in an on-the-curb interview said, quote, Kevin McCarthy couldn't keep his word. He made an agreement in January regarding the way Washington would work, and he violated that agreement. We are $33 trillion in debt. We're facing $2.2 trillion annual deficits, he added. And it looks, folks, like that implies the continuing resolution over the weekend was the straw that broke the proverbial camels, or uh, in this case, crocodiles, back. And then he added, we face a de-dollarization globally, huh? That certainly awakens some folks that will crush America's working-class Americans. Kevin McCarthy is a feature of the swamp. He's risen to power by collecting special interest money and redistributing that money in exchange for favors. Why, well, it kind of makes you wonder, if he was just quite a bit more senile and didn't pretend to be a Republican, he might be next in line for the White House. And while your host might suggest the Daily Mail's coverage hasn't been all that kind to Matt Gates, they did say this. The Florida representative had long promised to bring forth a motion to vacate if McCarthy put a continuing resolution or a stopgap funding bill to extend government funding at 2023 levels to prevent a government shutdown on the House floor. And on Saturday, McCarthy did just that. And unlike McCarthy, 
Gates kept his word. As for now, McCarthy advisor and confidant, Financial Services Committee Chairman Patrick McHenry of North Carolina has been designated the temporary speaker or speaker pro tem, a basically ceremonial role that will have him help oversee the election of whoever's next. Just a few hours later, McCarthy announced whatever happens, it won't be him. As a matter of fact, he's even threatened to give up his house seat entirely. Yeah, color your host skeptical on that score. And after all of that, as you might suspect, the big guesswork on Capitol Hill has to do with whoever it might be that is next. Congressman Troy Nelson has said he will nominate President Trump for the job. Even though he doesn't sit in Congress, folks, that's entirely possible. And he is open to being Speaker of the House as a follow-up story that's being repeated even on the Waystream press after his name has been floated by a handful of uh, what they call right-wing Republicans. He said during a press conference Wednesday morning, a lot of people have been asking me about it, referring to the presidential contest, he said, quote, we're leading by like 50 points for president. My focus is totally on that. If I can help them during the process, I'll do it. But we have some great people in the Republican Party. They'll do a great job as speaker, he said. Well, he's been wrong before, folks, on that score. But he added, I'll do whatever it is to help, but my focus is being president. And I suspect, folks, it's not lost on him that Speaker of the House is actually second in line for that job, especially given what might be called currently applicable scenarios. And let's not forget, as you might suspect, there are lots of other names being floated for the possibility. House Majority Leader Stephen Scalise has emerged as an immediate contender in the hours after McCarthy went down, say a number of pieces, but he's certainly dealing with major health issues. And Representative Jim Jordan, who's been big in the battle against Biden, has announced he, too, would like to be Speaker of the House. And he counts among his supporters Representative Thomas Massey of Kentucky, Daryl Issa of California, and Mike Carey of Ohio, all of whom said that they would support the man who at this point looks kind of like an anti-Kevin McCarthy. And by Wednesday morning, a story in the Gateway Pundit by Jim Hoff says that Marjorie Taylor Greene, too, has jumped on board, announced she will publicly endorse former President Donald J. Trump as her candidate for Speaker of the House. There was one other bit of good news after the acting Speaker, Patrick McHenry, took up his gavel. His first order, Nancy Pelosi must vacate her Capitol hideaway office by Wednesday. Yeah, more good riddance. And as you might expect, she's fit to be tied. What's she going to do with all that ice cream, your host wants to know? She lashed out at the Speaker Pro Tem, saying his ruthless move to evict her was, quote, a sharp departure from tradition, and it's about time on that score, folks. She whined about how she's at a funeral for one of the other biggest scumbags in the last few decades, you know the name, and, quote, I'm unable to retrieve my belongings at this time. Well, I guess she'll just have to have some of her slaves go and do it for her. <laughs> that was what was going to happen anyway, and you knew it. As we came to a close, at least so far as the news organizations are concerned, there have been no votes held in the House yet on a new speaker, but at least a bit of the smoke may be starting to clear. There had obviously been quite a bit of speculation about putting Donald Trump in the position, perhaps even just for a 100 days, and that would have been historic in more than one way. Early Thursday morning, he did announce that he would accept House speakership for a short period, while Republicans decided on a more permanent replacement. He does, after all, have a campaign to run, although who knows, maybe it'd be easier to do it from the Speaker's position where he couldn't be as readily gagged. But such speculation was put to bed Thursday night when Donald Trump officially endorsed Representative Jim Jordan of Ohio for the Speaker of the House position, which, says the Gateway Pundit's coverage by Jim Hoft, came as quite a surprise to many. 
After that, Representative Troy Nels took to social media to share the news. He had formerly endorsed the president for the speaker's position, stating, quote, just had a great conversation with President Trump about the speaker's race. He is endorsing Jim Jordan, and I believe Congress should listen to the leader of our party. I fully support Jim Jordan for Speaker of the House. Which brings me to a story that actually came out suspiciously coincidentally with the Speaker of the House churn this week. Could there be a connection? I'm going to call this the WTF moment, and why, even though it's tacky, will be clear momentarily. This is awkward, though, says Zero Hedge, in the first line of a story headlined, Too Freaking Late. Mayorkas, that would be Alejandro Mayorkas, Mr. Come on in, the invasion is fine, has finally admitted that there is, get this, an acute and immediate need to do what? To build a border wall in Texas. They call it a stunning reversal of everything that the lying, unelected scumbag regime has been saying over the last seven years, and that was before they even stole the most recent presidential election, and just months after the Biden-Fuhrer regime was caught selling portions of Trump's border wall on a government surplus website, DHS Secretary Sick Alejandro Mayorkas is citing an acute and immediate need to waive dozens of federal laws in order to finally build that border wall that they mostly tore down across South Texas as the illegal immigration crisis grows, well, I would say increasingly because it's been utterly out of control for at least a couple of years now, but over the last few months, yeah, it's gotten to be an outright tsunami. Quote, The Secretary of Achtung, Homeland Security, has determined, some might say finally, pursuant to law, what a concept, that it is necessary to waive certain laws, regulations, and other legal requirements in order to assure the expeditious construction of barriers and roads in the vicinity of the international land border of Star County, Texas, reads a notice posted to the U.S. Federal Registry obtained by Fox News. Wonder, does this mean the regime is going to quit cutting the razor wire that Texas keeps trying to put back up? No, probably not. Notice he said land border. Isn't that an amazing dodge? In light of the surge in illegal immigration, Mayorkas, you know what, folks? This sounds almost like somebody that got bitten by a rattlesnake months ago. Just let it fester for a while and finally realized, hey, somebody amputated my right leg just above the knee. Anyway, Mayorkas found there exists an acute and immediate need to construct physical barriers and roads in the vicinity, the border of the United States, in order to prevent unlawful entries into the United States in the project area. And nope, says Tyler Durden for Zero Hedge, and you're probably thinking the same thing. This is not the Babylon Bee. Ben Whedon reports for JustTheNews.com that the elected President Donald Trump's campaign team took Mayorkas' decision as a vindication, and they told Fox News, President Trump is always right. That's why he built close to 500 miles of powerful new wall on the border, and it would have been finished by now. But instead, crooked Joe Biden turned our country into one giant sanctuary for dangerous criminal aliens. And in total, Mayorkas is intending, or at least this is the lie we're being fed now, I'd certainly forgive and probably agree with anybody who's outright cynical about it at this point, much less merely skeptical. Anyway, it says, and maybe this is where the hidden agenda comes in, Mayorkas intends to waive some 26 federal laws in order to, and I'm not kidding, expedite construction, which raises a number of questions, folks. Not just why now, because that should have been obvious months, if not years ago. And why does this guy who allegedly at least took an oath to the Constitution have to waive federal laws when in reality all he needs to do is read Article 1, Section 8 and the part about repelling invasion, among other obvious things? 
Now, there's more here than meets the eye. Zero Hedge says it'll be fun to watch the Democrats and their MSM lackeys squirm as they try to worm their way out of this one. But I think there's a lot more to it than that. For example, the fact that they didn't say a word about this should raise at least a few eyebrows. I've seen multiple reports suggesting that hundreds of thousands, probably on the order of half a million, Chinese males of military fighting age have crossed into the once-free United States across the Mexican border over just the last six months. And basically, the regime doesn't know where they are, what they were carrying in their backpacks or in their bodies, or for that matter, why they even came. As if it wasn't obvious. And at this point, folks, I'm going to switch gears for a few minutes because we don't have enough time in this first segment to adequately explore what I've just laid out. But trust me, we'll do that in the second segment. So hang in there. Meanwhile, and no doubt related to the continued failure of Congress to do anything except continue the destruction of the almighty dollar, we saw a couple of, uh, call them sign of the time stories this week. I'll work up to the really big one this way. Zero Hedge called what we've got coming Bondmageddon. Another story courtesy of the Business Insider says that we've seen one of the biggest collapses now in the history of the U.S. markets in treasury bonds. Matter of fact, it's one of the worst market crashes in history. And, and yet, because it doesn't affect the stock market, it's not Black Friday. Most people don't know it. Since March of 2020, Treasury bonds with 10-year maturities or more have plummeted, says Bloomberg, not exactly what you call a right-wing source. They've plummeted 46%, which is basically almost the equivalent to what the stock market saw when the dot-com bubble burst. The bond route is worse than the one seen in 1981 when 10-year yields neared 16%. And essentially what's happened, of course, is as the The Fed has been cranking interest rates in a futile attempt, as it's going to turn out ultimately, to prevent inflation, although that's not the reason why they're doing it. The dollar is dead stick of fork in it. The bond market sell-off is sending yields soaring, and it's starting to eclipse some of the most extreme market meltdowns over past eras. The 30-year bonds have plunged 53%. These are nearly in line with stock market losses seen during the worst crashes in recent history, like the aftermath of 2008 and so forth. Okay, so that's the precursor, and this is what I think is the far more interesting story, certainly of greater concern, and I didn't see that it got that much attention either. But it's from uh, Hal Turner's radio show. I looked for uh, John Williams of Shadow Stats, and unfortunately, uh, he has been kind of silenced as well, and his excellent service is no longer available on his website. So I haven't heard him weigh in on this, and that's part of the reason why. Maybe they've been trying to silence him like so many others. But it goes like this. The U.S. money supply has now actually gone negative. In other words, it has contracted in the most recent period. And says uh, the story here, in the past 150 years, the U.S. money supply has only contracted, gone into negative territory five times. And they were either major recessions with a capital R or the Great Depression. The Great Depression is when it went most negative. There was a depression in 1921, it went negative then, the panic of 1883, and then all the way back to the 1870s, oh yeah, and right now. Now what's interesting is, if you look at the chart, and you can't see it on radio of course, but that Hal Turner has up, money supply growth went from one of the higher rates, M2, at um, over 25%, collapsing, I think you could even call it a violent collapse, to a minus 2%. So this is a snapback and a uh, and a collapse, the likes of which, honestly, the the total magnitude exceeds the drop and the the rate that we saw leading into the Great Depression. So this is pretty uh, stunning stuff. 
Normally, of course, the markets, especially the bond markets, pay attention to the M1 and M2 money supply reports. But interestingly, it doesn't seem like this is getting nearly the attention it should. After all of that, I guess we do need a bit of good news, or at least maybe some people in Europe are waking up. Having your Nord Stream pipeline blown up might start that process. With Germany predicted to be the only major European economy to experience a recession in 2023. Are you buying that? The last thing that country needs to be thinking about, says another piece from Zero Hedge, is the further implementation of so-called net zero climate goals ahead of an actual winter in the Northern Hemisphere. Germans, it says, may finally be thinking for themselves and about their own survival because Germany's cabinet on Wednesday said screw it to the climate warriors and plans to reignite several of their coal-fired power plants from October until the end of the first quarter, at least, your host notes, of 2024. Reuters explained the government is intending to, quote, replace scarce natural gas this winter and avoid shortages despite nat gas supplies on the continent being above normal for this time of the year, perhaps because so many of the businesses and people that once used it have either died or gone out of business. And said Reuters, Berlin reactivated coal-fired power plants and extended their lifespans. <laughs> Guess they had no choice. With a total output of 1.9 gigawatt hours generated last winter. And maybe, says Zero Hedge, it's time for Germans to start to do what they should have done to begin with. Blame green politicians and their climate cheerleaders for dooming their own energy stability. The country has recently led a so-called decarbonization movement by ditching fossil fuel power generation for, as it turns out, unreliable and Ultimately, folks, unrenewable solar and wind. In spring, the country had the genius idea, they note, of phasing out its last nuclear reactor. So the last thing the country needs to be worried about with a downturn roiling the economy is a less than one degree C rise in global temperatures over the past hundred years. And that's if you believe some of the bogus figures from those that stand to profit massively by carbon credits and transfers. Says the story, there's no concrete evidence of any significant climate crisis, especially not of the man-made variety, unless you count geoengineering. And all the people who tell us a crisis is right around the corner, says Tyler Durden, do so while raking in billions of funding dollars from big brother governments and think tanks around the world with a vested interest in reinforcing the hysteria. In other words, there's no basis for exponential restrictions on so-called greenhouse gas emissions, and the Germans seem to have finally realized the sham and have started to bring back coal power plants just to keep the lights on. And let's not forget, folks, the same lying, blithering idiots will tell you that that's the dirtiest of all possible fossil fuel power generation. So as Zero Hedge notes, that just helps reveal the depth of the sham. But wait a minute, speaking of unbelievable BS, we've also got this, courtesy of the Gateway Pundit, and the Wayback Machine. It seems appropriate to take a look back to early May of this year at this point. The Biden regime, remember when they said they weren't really seeking to ban gas stoves? That was just a conspiracy theory. And, oh, yeah, they don't want to take your guns either. That's just something that, well, if you've been reading what they talk about wanting to do, you already knew. Turns out... Their lips were moving. They were lying again. And, oh, yeah, speaking of which, let's close out the segment with this. Because one of the most disgusting people in the entire 20th and 21st centuries, Hillary Clinton, appeared with Christiane Amanpour recently and opened her disgusting fetid mouth and basically did what her namesake taught her to do in Mein Kampf. Accuse your enemies of precisely that which you're doing and getting away with. Think about that and listen to the following. Very strong partisans in both parties in the past, uh, and we had very bitter battles over all kinds of things, gun control and climate change and the economy and taxes. 
But there wasn't this little tail of extremism waving, you know, wagging the dog of the uh, Republican Party as it is today. Now, wait a minute. I was going to try, but we certainly can't let her get away with that. Do you remember the movie Wag the Dog about starting a war to distract from U.S. politics? It came out in 1997. Uh, I guess enough said. And sadly, so many of those extremists, those mega extremists, um, take their marching orders from Donald Trump, who has no credibility left by any measure. (laughs) He's only in it for himself. (laughs) And when do they break with him? You know, because at some point, you know, maybe there needs to be a formal deprogramming of the cult members, but something needs to happen. What should have happened was a trial for treason, or at least lock her up. And this is where we are instead. We'll be right back. Welcome back now to the second segment of the show for this evening. I am your host, Mark Call. And even though we've dealt with some of the more surprising, or in some cases, almost even shocking news already this evening, there's still quite a bit more to talk about. So let's get this out of the way first. The October 4th emergency broadcast system test, about which there had been no shortage of advanced hype and even fear-mongering, and arguably by both the deep state and its detractors, came and went on Wednesday and was arguably a yawner. But no doubt about it, folks, if there really was anything that did happen, it wouldn't be obvious to most people yet anyway. But as I was thinking about this, for the naysayers that are out there on the far left, how dare you think it was even a possibility that Big Brother would be up to something? I'll ask this question. Do you still believe, after year after year of non-existent man-made global warming and climate change BS, because your neighbor still has an SUV, or... Horror of horrors, you cook with gas? That real soon now, Obama's beachfront property will be underwater because of rising ocean levels? And people will be forced to wear bikinis in January or die of heat stroke? I guess here's the point, folks. Somehow or other, conservatives have gotten this bad rap that whenever they fear something, if it doesn't happen on the exact day, well, it was a conspiracy theory. But on the other hand, if the left keeps hyping something idiotic for year after year after year, and it never happens, well, it just means we don't have enough people yet believing. Kind of like in the Tooth Fairy or Tinkerbell. So nothing happened. Big deal. And if the worst thing that happened was you turned off your phone for a couple of hours and somehow managed to survive that, well, maybe that's a good lesson in itself. From there, let's return to some dots that we at least laid out in the first segment, having to do with the Speaker of the House, the ultimate collapse of the almighty dollar, 
the destruction of the rule of law. And is it just possible that this might be a related story? It comes via Zero Hedge, the burning platform, and originally, at least in part, Newsweek, where it says the Biden Fuhrer's Gestapo, a.k.a. the Federal Bureau of Instigation, has, quote, quietly created a new category of extremists. And you'd think that would be those on the seventh floor that run that criminal organization. But no, in this case, these are MAGA followers, extremists that they intend to track and counter ahead of the upcoming, as if we were actually going to have one, 2024 election. According to prolific and well-connected anti-war journalist and political commentator William Arkin, who's previously reported on the FBI's efforts to, quote, fight MAGA terrorism. And in the Newsweek article, dated Wednesday, Arkin reports that the vast majority of FBI investigations into so-called anti-government activities are, say it with me, folks, of Trump supporters. Now, here i got to pause and ask the obvious question. Does that mean anybody and everybody who figured out that the 2020 election was clearly, painfully, undeniably rigged, crooked, and basically a sham? You don't even have to be political, folks, to recognize a statistical impossibility when it's slammed right in your face. Said a current FBI official to Arkin, quote, the FBI is in an almost impossible position, and he added that the agency's stated intent is stopping a repeat of the January 6th so-called insurrection, which, as it turns out, was riddled with feds, confidential human sources, and other agent provocateurs, all the while they claim, at least, that they're trying to balance the constitutional right, sick, of Americans to protest the government, or even, folks, petition for a redress of grievances. Quote, especially at a time when the White House is facing congressional Republican opposition claiming that the Biden administration has weaponized the bureau against the right wing. Gee, do you think? Who could have imagined it? Who could ignore it? It has to tread very carefully, said the official. Yeah, they're worried if they go too far too fast, somebody might actually indict the whole lot of the stinking criminals for treason. After all, if Congress is starting to develop a backbone enough to get rid of a scumbag rhino like Kevin McCarthy, who knows? Maybe the next step might even be defunding some of the three-letter criminal agencies. Newsweek says the piece spoke to over a dozen current or former government officials who specialize in terrorism and ponder the double entendre there. In a three-month investigation to understand the current domestic security sick landscape and to evaluate what... And I'm not going to read this the way they wrote it. The Biden-Fuhrer regime is doing about what they call domestic terrorism. And most of them requested anonymity because they were not authorized to talk publicly. And they're probably scared about that dreaded busting down to the front door if they told the truth. Many were reluctant to stray into partisan politics. Good grief. What a crock. Or they feared repercussions. This at least has the ring of truth if they spoke frankly. And if that wasn't bad enough, listen to this. Newsweek has also reviewed, it says, secret FBI und Department of Achtung Homeland Security data to track incidents, threats, investigations und cases to try to build a better picture. While experts agree, and you can imagine what political chandelier they swing from, experts agree that the current partisan environment is charged and uniquely dangerous with the threat not only of violence, but in the most extreme scenarios, yeah, exactly what they are pushing towards, civil war. Many also question whether terrorism is even the most effective way to describe the problem. Some of us would say it's an idiotic way, but that's exactly what they are, or at least that's what they're pushing people to try to believe that they are, as opposed to just plain evil. 
You know what, folks? It's tough to read this. I'll admit it without getting a bit worked up when you see a once free country doing things that might have made Hitler's Gestapo blush. Ultimately, I guess you could say they were at least honest about their intent. Well, anyway, it says many are questioning whether terrorism is the right word to use here or whether the methods of so-called counterterrorism that have been developed over the past decade by the actual terrorists, your host notes, in response to various, at least once upon a time, real terrorist groups like Al-Qaeda and ISIS and so forth, you know, before they got 80-plus billion dollars of U.S. aid and armament from the Biden Fuhrer in Afghanistan, among other places. Well, whether that would constitute, it says, the most fruitful way to craft domestic solutions. Unquote, and let me say it again. The intent is not to craft domestic solutions, folks. The intent is to craft the very civil war they'll tell you, oh, so sincerely, that they're trying to avoid. Kind of like an addict avoids going back to his pusher for his next hit. Says the Zero Hedge piece, we'd have to note here that an FBI whistleblower back in March claimed that the agency pressured him into inflating domestic terrorism figures against conservatives and that the agency created a specific threat tag for pro-lifers called Threats SCOTUS 2022 following the leaked Supreme Court opinion about abortion. And notice that they did not have a similar threat tag for all of the openly violent leftists who openly threatened SCOTUS justices. And obviously those are the ones that the FBI doesn't seem to care whether they live or die anyway. Or, I don't know, given what you've seen with the Hunter Biden laptop from hell, maybe it's just that they care far more about leftist extremist terrorists and those that are well connected to them. The FBI told Newsweek in a statement, quote, the threat posed by domestic violent extremists, the dreaded DVEs, is persistent, evolving, and deadly. The FBI's goal, they say, is to detect and stop terrorist attacks, and our focus is on potential criminal violations, violence and threats of violence. And that, of course, means, folks, unless they're carrying rainbow flags, Black Lives Matter flags, or call themselves anti-fascists. Back to the quote from America's Gestapo. Anti-government or anti-authority violent extremism is just one category of domestic terrorism, as well as one of the FBI's top threat priorities. Yeah, the hell with an invasion across the southern border by communist Chinese PLA insurgents. We have more important things to worry about, like people who actually still believe that one of the purposes of the Bill of Rights was to protect them from exactly this kind of government tyranny. I debated whether or not to even read this next part of the quote, folks, because quite frankly, it stinks too much like bullshit to me. But I will, just to show you the level of hypocrisy here. Quote, we are committed to protecting the safety and constitutional rights of all Americans and will never open, never again open. Is that a change in policy? We will never open, they claim, an investigation based solely on First Amendment protected activity, which doesn't seem to actually exist. Maybe that's how the dodge works here, including a person's political beliefs or affiliations, unquote. Well, unless, of course, they're one of you-know-who, it would seem. According to the FBI's leaked data to Arkin, the number of domestic extremism cases has dropped since January 6th, but, quote, Sociopolitical developments such as narratives of fraud in the recent general election, the emboldening impact of the violent breach of the U.S. Capitol, what a crock. Look at some video of what happens in Chicago over a typical weekend. Look at posts dating back to the real riots of a summer or so ago. You want to see violence, folks? Watch them burn down a police station carrying their BLM and Antifa flags. Back to the continued BS in this quote. 
Conditions related to the COVID-19 pandemic, they spelled that wrong, that's no surprise, and conspiracy theories promoting violence. Well, all of these will almost certainly spur some domestic terrorists to try to engage in violence, unquote. And some of us might suggest, huh, even if that means they have to employ their confidential human sources to kind of give it a shove when it's necessary. So, says Zero Hedge's summary here, while the threat that the FBI has encouraged agents to inflate may have actually fallen, they're on the lookout. But wait, there's more. The agency has even created a new subcategory of threats, this time called agave-other, to denote those who are a threat, but they haven't figured out exactly how yet because they don't fit into the category of anarchist, militia, or the dreaded sovereign citizen label. But I guess the message here, folks, is we know who you are. Here's the quote from Newsweek. Introduced without any announcement and reported here for the first time, the new classification is officially defined as, quote, domestic violent extremists who cite anti-government or anti-authority motivations for violence or criminal activity not otherwise defined, such as individuals motivated by a desire to commit violence against those with a real or perceived association with a specific political party or faction of a specific political party, unquote. I have a strong suspicion, folks, that doesn't mean any party that might start with D or communist or socialist. Uh, oh, yeah, and unquote. Observe Zero Hedge. Trump or MAGA aren't directly mentioned in the official description of Agave Other, however, but government insiders acknowledge that it applies to political violence ascribed to the former president's supporters. Oh, there you go. What other name could we use, said one FBI officer who added, obviously, if Democratic Party supporters resort to violence, it, Agave Other, would apply to them as well. Anybody actually believe that? It doesn't matter that there is a low likelihood of that, said the agent, confirming my cynicism. So, yes, in practical terms, it refers to MAGA. And this, by the way, is a continued quote, folks. Yes, in practical terms, said the so-called agent, it refers to MAGA, though the carefully constructed language is wholly nonpartisan. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Unquote. And how's that for, oh, yes, we appear to be completely nonpartisan, if you're kind of stupid anyway, but we know who you are. Zero Hedge summarizes it this way. So, sure, Mr. Anonymous FBI guy, there's a, quote, low likelihood that actual Democrats, the party which the FBI's top brass belong to without question, they obviously aren't causing political violence. Asked Tyler Durden, did somebody get into Hunter's crack stash? And I'll pause there to ponder. You know, I think they intended that as a joke, but honestly, isn't that just a small piece of what we're really talking about here? After all of that today, folks, I have a really important, and I'll have to admit it, I think it's a brilliant suggestion for how we deal with the multiple problems that are plaguing the United States, primarily from, of course, the swamp itself. And I'll start with this story to set it up, because there have been so many indications from major think tanks, military consultants, and so forth, saying, yep, the United States needs to institute another draft if we're going to successfully pull off the rest of World War III. And associated with that, I also heard an interesting but damning statistic over the weekend. Did you know that casualties among Ukrainian frontline troops in the war against Russia are 80 to 90 percent? How's that for drawing a short straw? 
And as you no doubt remember, part of the big debate and the oh-so-incredible brinksmanship we saw leading up to the weekend sellout was, do we or do we not continue to open the U.S. borders and let invaders stream across without any hindrance whatsoever, but with lots of incentives once they get here, while at the same time we continue to send billions more down the rat hole in Ukraine? You're obviously not allowed to ask the question, why is their border so worth defending while ours isn't? Well, folks, I want to spend a few minutes next looking at a couple of things. For example, let's talk costs. Some leftist sites like ProPublica and NPR and others are saying Trump spent almost $3 billion on the worthless border wall. (laughs) Well, it's worthless now. The Biden Fuhrer pretty much destroyed what was put up and invited other people to just circumvent it, while the Border Patrol, how's that for a misnomer, is literally cutting the razor wire and saying, come on in, the water's fine and the goodies are free. I really think they need to change the name from Customs and Border Protection to Communists and Bidenista Propaganda. Rather than stopping people at the border, folks, they're cutting the razor wire and helping them in. You can watch the videos online, for now anyway. How's that for traitors on the southern frontier? And I'll say it again. Could it be that having a rhino hoisted by his own petard might have put a little bit of fear into the scumbags that are betraying the country? But Benedict Arnold's at the border aside, it's um, enlightening, I would suggest, to take a look at projected costs to put up a border wall. Or now I guess we'd have to say to re-put up what was destroyed. Oh yeah, and I'll start with this observation, courtesy of TGP and Maria Bartiromo, who back in August announced that the Biden fuel regime sold parts that had been acquired for the Trump border wall worth 300 million bucks for the bargain basement, yeah, fire sale liquidation price of just two million. Well, under a penny on the dollar. Somebody got a fabulous deal at taxpayer expense. A derogatory piece from TexasMonthly.com, dated April 21 of 21, says, "Ooh, it might cost 27 million bucks a mile." Well, in that case, folks, a thousand miles of similar wall might cost 27 billion dollars with a B. Other estimates compiled from leftist sources, including the BBC, say that a border wall might cost anywhere from 12 billion to, oh, imagine this, 40 billion bucks. But wait a minute, that's chump change. In early August, those pulling the Biden Fuhrer strings sent a supplemental appropriations request to Capitol Hill for 24 billion bucks just in assistance to Ukraine. That's not counting armament and all the other goodies they've got on the table. And uh, those that are being siphoned off and sent up the chain to the various Big guys, no doubt. So far, in Ukraine alone, the U.S. has spent 113 billion bucks in four separate spending packages, and that's just for starters. They keep wanting to up the ante. Oh yeah, and let's not forget, the Biden regime left 80 or 90 billion bucks worth of U.S. military hardware for terrorists like ISIS and Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. Kind of makes you wonder how many billion of that have already crossed back in across the open southern border now, doesn't it? But one thing's for sure, that too would have built, oh, at least a couple, maybe three or four border walls. So understand this. What's already been spent to push for World War III in Ukraine and not a dime of it for actual real defense of the United States would amount to at least three and maybe ten complete border walls. Well, meanwhile, enough invaders to populate the state of Wyoming, for example, are crossing the border just about each and every month. I guess you could ask how many Communist Chinese Party People's Liberation Army battalions does that include? One thing you know for sure, General Marxist Milley, retired or not, isn't about to tell you, although his PLA general buddies probably know. 
Neither is $1 for his quote-unquote services, Lloyd Austin. And the clueless Congress, by any measure, folks, wastes more than that every single year. And are you ready for this? Interest alone on the utterly unpayable so-called national debt is projected by the CBO to take pretty much two-thirds of a trillion bucks in 2023. And that's up 200 billion bucks in the last year, enough to build five full walls, and that's including Bidenflation. Why, just the stuff they're arguing about still could probably build a wall or two. I think the point's obvious. There is no intent to stop the invasion. The intent is the exact opposite. It's to destroy the United States. Which leads me to that suggestion I was talking about. If nothing else, it connects the dots and, I think, makes the point, really brings it home dramatically. Here we go. Rather than instituting a draft and sending young men and women, boys and girls, to die for some other country's borders, why not say, hey, come on in? We obviously don't have a southern border at this point. After all, we're subsidizing your entry to the United States, and crappy border patrol isn't even slowing it down. So let's just make a deal and see, folks, if this doesn't connect a whole lot of dots and maybe solve a whole bunch of problems all at the very same time. Now, let me say this up front. We all know it's not going to happen, but if people want to call their Congress critters and make the obvious point, maybe at least some of the chicanery might be uh, a bit harder to hide. And here's kind of the thought process that I went through to get here. I can certainly respect any young person of draftable age who would say, hey, they're not protecting our border. They're not protecting my farm, my home, my chance to even have children and a life in the years to come. So why the hell would I want to go over and fight and die on some other front for a country that basically only has one purpose, and that's to cover up the graft and corruption of the fake and its communist masters pulling the strings in the swamp? You got Venezuelans this last week streaming across the border carrying a Venezuelan flag. Well, why don't they, if they don't want to fight for Venezuela, go fight in Ukraine? It's almost as corrupt as where they came from. There actually is precedent for this, folks. There have been times in U.S. history when people could earn their citizenship. Hey, what a concept. By actually fighting for a country that once believed in those self-evident truths and that people were fighting and dying to defend God-given, constitutionally protected rights and freedoms. (laughs) How ironic is that nowadays? So, since Big Brother and Alejandro Mayorkas are already saying, come on in, we'll give you freebies, why don't we change it just a little bit and say, oh yeah, come on in, we're just going to do two things. And by the way, we force these on Americans anyway, so what do you got to argue about? First, if you want to come in, you have to take the Zyklon B injection. That way we know there won't be any issue in years to come with birthright citizenship, ha ha ha, once you figure out what the mRNA has done to your fertility. And number two, of course, we're going to send you overseas to fight and die for somebody else's borders. How ironic is that? How apropos. Men and women, boys and girls, and especially transgenders, hey, the military will love you. Go on over and fight. Maybe die. And, uh, yeah, if you want to, when you're done, or maybe even before, we'll give you whatever transgender or trans whatever we've got next surgery paid for out of that same bottomless cup of coffee that we aren't using to defend the borders now. And imagine, folks, how this deals with all the arguments you've heard about how it's too expensive to deport all of these people that are crossing the border by the millions. Why, how much would that cost? We haven't got the money. But ironically, we've got enough money that we're contemplating sending tens or hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of Americans to go over and fight and die for somebody else's border. All we're really talking about doing is taking that draft from a different pool. And it's right there. Lots and lots of them getting bus and plane tickets already. We just changed the destination a bit. And let's not forget this. 
We're talking about sending billions of dollars worth of more equipment, M1 Abrams tanks and F-16s and who knows what else, maybe even missing F-35s, over to Ukraine. This will no doubt be less expensive than what they've already got planned, but it's all funny money, isn't it? And they're printing it by the, uh, well, trillion at this point. Oh, yeah, and one more thing, too, folks. Dare I suggest that if people actually were told, you cross that border, we may ship you over to fight and die in World War III, that it might stem the flow just a teeny bit? Well, if not, hey, we got nothing to lose at this point, right? Oh, yeah, and I can imagine one more objection you might hear. How about all those kids that are coming across the border? Don't we have compassion on them? Well, folks, we want to inject... 12-year-olds, 6-year-olds, and now all the way down to 6-month-olds. How's this for compassion? With an injection which is A, untested, B, doesn't defend them against anything, and we know it. C, statistically, they're not even remotely likely to suffer from the booga-booga flu anyway. But D, turns out they are far more likely to be sterilized and never have progeny of their own. So who are we kidding? Let me say it again. Why not do to invaders what we're already doing to our own kids, whether they like it or not? Or for crying out loud, folks, at least admit the deadly hypocrisy here. Oh, yeah, there's one other thing. If you say kids are too young to go into battle, well, they're probably too young to be force-injected. But why don't we just put them in some kind of a camp until they're big enough to go, that is, if they survive at all anyway, and then ship them over? The Biden Fuhrer's puppet masters have continued to assure us that that war will still be going on by then, if the world hasn't already been reduced to nuclear ash, that is. All right, well, there you go. Admittedly, this has zero chance of actually happening, but I guess you could say the same thing about actually stemming the tide of Communist Chinese Party, ISIS, and you name it, foreign invaders coming across and destroying what's left of the United States anyway. But at least this way, we get to point out the absurdity of idiots bent on self-destruction while they're pushing the entire world to nuclear Armageddon. And you know what else? It might be a really great way to inform the cannon fodder of tomorrow exactly what it is that they're fighting for, or not, and what Big Brother intends to make them die for. When it comes to just saying no, folks, I think it's helpful to be able to plan ahead. So to kind of summarize a really eventful week in the news, I can't help but think that just about everything we're seeing is pointing in one of two directions. Either the country heads right over the cliff, it's heading there fast if it's not already over open space, or at least a few people that are paying attention begin to say things like, I've had enough. I'm not going to be pushed or duped into continuing to commit suicide. I'm going to do whatever I can to at least for myself and my family and my house get out of it. And if you haven't looked at it lately, folks, I encourage you to read the book of Revelation, chapter 18. Pay special attention to verse 4, which I think is fabulous advice for America 2023. Come out of her, my people. Don't participate with evil, because you ought to know what that gets you. 